Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning. In Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and by the way, good morning, Mike and Melinda. See, I knew her name. It's good to see you back again from Vermont. How are things in Vermont? Not nearly as hot as it is here. Very good. It's good to see you. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul mentions to this church, uh, this group of believers in Christ, about the day of Christ. He mentions it in verse 6. He mentions it in verse 10. He mentions it in the second chapter of this letter as well. The Bible tells us that the next great event awaiting the Christian in the Christian church is the, the appearing of Jesus Christ to take his people out of the earth. That's the next greatest event on God's plan for the ages, insofar as we are able to tell from what we read in Scripture. Now, this event of God, of Christ Jesus taking his people out of the earth, is called the day of Christ Jesus. It is also called the rapture. It is also called the rapture. Now, you will not find the word rapture in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, but that is the description of the event. It is the taking away, it is the snatching out of the earth those who belong to Christ. Now, the day of Christ Jesus will also begin what the prophet Malachi called the great and the terrible day of the Lord. The great and the terrible day of the Lord. And that's a seven-year period when God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the earth and those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In that period of time, the Antichrist is going to rise to power. In that time, the false prophet will rise to religious power. At the end of that time, Jesus will return with the saints in heaven to establish his millennial kingdom on the earth. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 24. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I'm sure many of you have read this passage numerous times. We will read it once again. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 4. Matthew chapter 24. Let's begin in verse 1. We'll begin in verse 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to a point out the temple buildings to him. 
And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? He's there on a high hill. Uh, the temple was on a high hill in Jerusalem. And from this high hill, you could look out and you could see the entire city of Jerusalem. Some say that this was probably in the evening when the setting sun was uh, shining upon the golden dome of the temple area, not the golden dome of the temple, but shining on the gold and the marble and the silver and the bronze uh, of the temple. And uh, all of those beautiful uh, houses and buildings that were made out of white marble uh, were just glimmering in the setting sun. And so Jesus says, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now pay close attention to their question. Jesus is saying, I mean, the disciples are asking, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famine and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold." But the one who endures to the end, it is he who shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babies in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in winter nor on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever shall be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life will have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, 
I have told you in advance. What Jesus is describing here is what the prophets of the Old Testament call the day of the Lord. It is that time when God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the earth and upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is not the first event uh, that is awaiting us. It is the second event that is awaiting us. This will come after the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus and the day of the Lord are two separate events, and neither one has happened yet. But they are on God's plan for the ages yet to come. Now, the disciples ask Jesus, when are these things going to take place? In speaking of the day of the Lord, no one knows. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And Mark chapter 13, verse 33 adds, Take heed, keep on alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. We all need to be aware of that because there have been a number of times in my lifetime individuals who have gone uh, on public record stating that they know the date when Jesus was going to return. I have a book in my library, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And that book doesn't even make a good doorstop. <laughs> but then the author, when, when that date came and left and Christ hadn't arrived, he revised it uh, to another date. And there uh, recently, uh, Mr. Harold Camping, uh, you'll remember, remember him, had announced when the day of Christ was to appear. That day came, that day passed. And then he he revised his date again to another date. That date came, that day passed, and Christ had not come. Then there was the time, most recently, when uh, everyone was concerned about the Mayan calendar and the fact that the Mayan calendar ended on a certain date. And they stated that the Mayans had believed that uh, that would be uh, a great and terrible day, so a massive destruction that will destroy everything because that's when their calendar ended. So, upon discovering the Mayan calendar and looking at that date, there were a lot of people who said that must be the day of the Lord because the Mayan calendar doesn't go beyond that date. Well, that day came and that day went and we're still here. So be aware, friends, and don't fall victim to those individuals who have mathematically worked out the day when Christ is going to return. 
or they have gone through the scriptures again and again and again, and they have put this passage and that passage together, and they have mixed everything all up, and they, voila, have come up with another date when Christ will come. Jesus said, no one knows the date nor the hour. And I don't know why we can't get that through our um, thick skulls. That no one knows the date or the hour. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, while he was here on the earth, was not privy to that information. Only the Father knows. So, dear friend, uh, if someone were to approach you and tell you that the, the day of the Lord is going to be on such and such a date, uh, then you have to ask yourself the question, is this individual smarter than God? Because only he knows that date. Now, since no one knows when the second coming of Christ will be, then no one knows when the seven-year tribulation is going to be because it precedes the second coming of Christ. And since no one knows when the seven-year tribulation is going to begin, then no one knows when the day of Christ will come because it is the... Uh, it's the starting gun of the tribulation period. The next event is the appearing of Christ to take his people out of the earth. Then comes the seven-year tribulation. Then comes Christ uh, to set up his millennial kingdom. The second coming of Christ to set up his millennial kingdom. A thousand years will pass, and then the end will come. But between now and then, all kinds of of things are going to happen here in the earth. Now we took a very brief look at the day of the Lord last Sunday, so I want to focus our attention on the day of Christ Jesus for the next several Sundays. For the next several Sundays, the second uh, the, the uh, day of Christ Jesus, which is also called the rapture. And this morning I want to focus our attention on the imminence of the, the appearing of Christ Jesus. When will Jesus Christ appear in the heavens, take us out of the earth to be with him in heaven while the seven years of tribulation are being played out on the earth? When is that going to happen? No one knows the day nor the hour. But there are some things that we can know about the time and the season in which this will transpire. There are some who argue that there's no such thing as the rapture because the rapture is not mentioned in Scripture. Some of these people are well-meaning Christian people. However, most people, most Christian people do believe in the Holy Trinity. Do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Yes. Most of us believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. And yet the word Trinity is found nowhere in Scripture. You'll not find that word in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. But the Bible from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation speaks of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even though the term is not used, the doctrine is spelled out everywhere in Scripture. So just because the, the word rapture is not found in 
the Bible doesn't mean that the doctrine uh, of that event is not found everywhere in Scripture because it is. Second, if you study the Gospel of John, and maybe some of you know this already, maybe some of you don't, if you study the Gospel of John, now John was the youngest of the disciples, John was the beloved disciple, John was the one who lived uh, beyond the persecution of the other disciples, they all died um, by martyr's death, but John was left alive, he was the one who was on the island of Patmos and the Lord appeared to him and he wrote the book of the Revelation, John the beloved disciple, in his gospel he never mentions the word faith. You'll not find the word faith anywhere in John's gospel. And if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll find the word faith only once. And yet the doctrine of faith is everywhere in the Gospel of John and it's everywhere in Scripture, even though John does not mention it in his Gospel. Now, some also argue that the idea of the rapture is fairly recent in church history. Now, the church has been in the earth for 2,000 years. But the idea of the rapture has only come to prominence uh, in the 1800s with John Darby and C.I. Schofield. And so there are some who will argue that because the idea of rapture is so late in church history, it must not be a biblical concept. Otherwise, the church would have known about this from day one. The church would have been speaking about this from day one. Well, that's an interesting thing. For people to argue that something doesn't exist because it wasn't spoken of until very late in human history, if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll never find the word church. You'll never find the word church in the Old Testament. And in the Gospels, you'll find Jesus talking about the church only twice. And yet, from the Gospels on to the end of the Bible the end of the New Testament, the church is mentioned everywhere. It's a cardinal doctrine of the New Testament. Even though it's not found in the Old Testament, and Jesus mentioned it relatively rarely in his ministry here on the earth. Does that mean that the doctrine of the church is an invalid doctrine because it, it wasn't mentioned in Scripture from day one? Absolutely not. The reason that you don't find the concept of church or you don't find the word church in the Old Testament was because it wasn't revealed to the Old Testament saints. The time had not come yet for the concept of the church to be established in their hearts and in their minds. The time for the doctrine of the church had not come until the death burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then you find the church mentioned everywhere from that point on. 
What about God's plan of salvation? Salvation is a very important doctrine in Scripture, but you won't find that word in the Old Testament. You won't find God's plan of salvation for a lost and sinful humanity in the Old Testament. You'll find where God redeems His people, the Jews, from oppressing armies, from certain circumstances and situations, drought, so on and so forth. And even from their sin, God will redeem them. But there is no well-developed plan of salvation in the Old Testament. And yet the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12, As to this salvation, the prophets... Now we're talking about Old Testament folks... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long looked. And what he's saying here is that the doctrine of salvation, not even the angels of heaven understood the doctrine of salvation until it was clearly and plainly made known to the people on earth through Jesus Christ. The prophets of the Old Testament had a very scant understanding of the sufferings of the Christ who would come, but had no understanding of the great salvation that would come through his suffering. And that's what the Apostle Peter was saying. Those prophets looked, they searched the scriptures, they couldn't find anything in there that spoke of this wonderful doctrine of salvation that was made known to the New Testament people through Christ Jesus. But just because it wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament and only revealed in Christ Jesus in the New doesn't mean that it wasn't one of the central points of God's plan for the ages from the very, very beginning. As a matter of fact, you read in the book of the Revelation where... Uh, the Lord speaks about the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. In other words, in the councils of God, back before creation was even established, it was determined by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that Christ would come and offer His life a sacrifice for the sins of the world. That was set. That was established. That became the, the, the kingpin of the, the, the plan of God to save a lost and dying humanity but it wasn't revealed until Christ actually came so what I'm trying to help us understand is that in the progressive revelation of scripture from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the end of the revelation God has slowly been revealing his plan 
uh, of salvation, his plan for the coming of the Messiah, his plan for judgment upon the earth, his plan for eternal life, his plan for all of these things. He has slowly and progressively been revealing these things through the march of human history. Not everything was uh, revealed to the peoples of the Old Testament because, it, well, number one, it wasn't time for it to be revealed, and number two, they couldn't have understood it uh, anyway. There were other things that had to be established first so that that future revelation could be built upon the previous established revelation. I remember when I was a boy back home in Arkansas, maybe this has something to do with it or not. Uh, I think it does. Uh, in the wintertime, uh, we had to feed our cattle from the um, hay that we had stored in the barns during the summer. In the summer, my father and I, we would go out into the fields and we would cut hay and we'd bale the hay and then we would bring the hay in in these 90-pound, 100-pound bales and we would stack them in the barns from the floor to the ceiling until winter came. And when the winter snows came, we would take the uh, hay out, put it in the pickup truck, in the back of the pickup truck, go out, and we would cut the bales up and we would... Uh, disperse the, the sheaves of hay to the cattle. And every time I would go out and do this, this was one of my responsibilities. I loved doing it because I was only about 13 or 14 and I got to drive the truck, um, which was a big thing for me. But my dad would invariably say, now if only one cow shows up, don't give them the whole load. Usually we'd take five or six bales of hay because we had maybe a hundred head of cattle. And he'd say, if only one cow shows up, don't give them the whole load. And in a way, that's what I'm saying here about the revelation that we have, the, the progressive revelation of God. God doesn't give us the whole load. We wouldn't be able to handle it. We wouldn't be able to take it in. We wouldn't be able to figure it all out if God gave us the whole load at once. His revelation to us has been progressive and forever building upon what was revealed in previous days. Now he's building upon that to help us understand what's coming in future days. So the bottom line is this. The word rapture is nowhere found in the Bible, but the doctrine of the rapture is as is the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the church and the doctrine of salvation. The absence of the word rapture in Scripture or even in the first 1800 years of the church is no argument against the reality that the Holy Spirit has in these last days opened our eyes to this mystery of God's plan for the ages. I have some fairly old books in my library and sermon books preached by preachers back in the 1700s, the 1800s, and so on and so forth. And as I have read through all of these, and some of them multiple volumes of sermons, I think Spurgeon's sermons are like a hundred and some odd volumes of just his sermons alone. Um, but 
in all of the readings of these early preachers from the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, there has not been, there has not been the emphasis on the end times as there has been in the last 150 years. In the last 150 years, the Christian church has focused in on the coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that's an accident. I don't believe that's an incidental thing. I think in these days, the Holy Spirit has impressed upon us the coming of the Lord. Why? Because that time is near, very near. When it came time for God to do a great event in the life of Israel in the Old Testament, He sent prophets to Israel to forewarn them of that great event that was coming. Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when some great event was about to take place, Jesus would talk to His disciples about it. He started talking about his death and resurrection at the very beginning of his ministry with these guys. He didn't wait until the very last moment to tell them of his death and resurrection. He began to speak to them, preparing them for that event so that when it happened, they would be prepared. And this has always been God's pattern. When the time came, when the time was right, when the hour was, uh, was near for the Lord to reveal the next great event, He would tell His people through a prophet, through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is one of the greatest reasons why I believe that the, the return of Jesus Christ is so, so very near because the church has been speaking about nothing less than that for the last hundred years. We're getting people ready for the return of Jesus. The church is getting ready for Christ to return. Jesus, the apostles Peter and Paul and James all speak of the day of Christ Jesus and they tell us that it is imminent. It is imminent. That is, it is coming. It's close at hand. James chapter 5 and verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. The judge himself, the judge, speaking of Christ Jesus, is standing right at the door. That's the Apostle James. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near, writes the Apostle Peter. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The Apostle in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there are scoffers. There are people who say, nah, it's not going to happen. I've heard people say, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years since these words were written and Jesus hasn't come yet. So what's the deal? The passing of 2,000 years doesn't mean that the Bible is wrong. 
doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus said, you do not know the hour that, of your Lord's coming in Matthew 24, 42. The exact time of his appearing is not known to us. But that doesn't mean he's not coming. And that doesn't mean he's not coming soon. The judge is still at the door. The day of Christ Jesus is still at hand. There are no other events in God's plan for this age that prevents Christ coming, even this very day. Some have said that the coming of Jesus could be another 2,000 years away. And that may be so. But given the rise of human self-destruction... Given the accelerated and irreparable destruction of the environment, given the escalation, the concentration, and the intensity of natural catastrophes all over the world, given the development and the advancement of weapons that are able to kill millions of people in an instant, and the growing insanity of world leaders who have no qualms of using them, I seriously doubt that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ will be delayed much longer. Meanwhile, as people laugh at the doctrine of the rapture, as they mock the church and our Christian assurance of the return of Jesus Christ, we need to remember the words of the Apostle Peter. Second Peter chapter Three, verses 3 through 8. I want you to look at that near the end of your New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Second Peter chapter 3. Right after the book of Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and following, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter said, there are people who are going to laugh at our understanding of the biblical doctrine of the coming of Christ. And they will use the 2,000-year argument as an argument against such a biblical doctrine. 
But Peter would have us to understand that this is God's plan. It was God's plan to destroy the earth by a flood. And it is God's plan to destroy the earth by fire. And so let the mockers mock. And let the laughers laugh. But don't you forget that, that, that God has established this event to take place at His choosing. And when God says, enough is enough, and it's time to take uh, the bride out of the earth, Christ will appear. And immediately, we will be taken out of the earth. And then, the great tribulation will come when the wrath of God is poured out for those on those who have rejected Christ Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want you to turn there. So you're going to turn left and go back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and as a matter of fact, this 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians were written because the church in Thessalonica, they were wondering about this very thing, the return of Christ. And they were confused. And some were arguing that that day had already come and gone. Paul wrote these two books to the church at Thessalonica to straighten them out on the subject. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception you had, we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In other words, he's underscoring to these Christians in Thessalonica the hope, the assurance that we have that Jesus Christ is coming again. It was real, it was powerful with the Apostle Paul, and it should be real and it should be powerful with the Christians in Thessalonica and beyond Thessalonica to all of the churches, even to this age today. So we are to wait patiently for his appearing. In chapter 4 of the same book, verses 14 through 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 18, for we, if we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." We're going to focus our attention on these verses next Sunday. But again, he is encouraging the Christians in Thessalonica that Jesus Christ is indeed coming again. And when he comes again, 
His people, the saints, the church, the bride of Christ, will be taken out of the earth and immediately transformed and will go to be with the Lord in heaven. Chapter 5, verses 6, 9, and 11. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. We are to watch and we are to wait patiently for the Lord to appear. He will keep us from the day of wrath that will be poured out upon the earth. That's why we believe that the rapture, that the, the day of Christ Jesus is going to come before the tribulation uh, occurs here in the earth because he will keep us from the day of wrath. That was his promise. Paul emphasized that. Jesus spoke of that again to the church of Philadelphia in the book of the Revelation chapter 3. And so I want us to be encouraged, dear friends. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never committed your life to Him, the next great event that's going to happen in God's timetable, in God's plan for the ages, is that He will take His people out of the earth. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not going to be among those who are taken out of the earth. You will remain in the earth and you will suffer through the day of tribulation that will come upon the earth after Jesus comes. If you do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be encouraged that even though what we're experiencing in our country and what's going on all around the world, horrible, yes, tragic, yes, frustrating, yes, makes us angry, absolutely, makes us anxious, yes. All of these things are happening and give us comfort in knowing that Jesus was right in what he said, that these things are going to escalate. They're going to become greater and greater and greater. They're going to come more rapidly. And they're going to become more intense as they progress. And we're seeing that in front of our very eyes. So take heart. Be encouraged. That as these horrific things continue to uh, be poured out upon the earth, the day of the Lord's appearing draws even closer and closer and closer. And it may even be today. It may even be this week. We do not know. Only the Lord knows, but we need to be ready. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, if you will, please. David, come and lead us in a song. And then we will be dismissed. Thirsty, and all who are weak, come to the fountain and dip your heart in the stream of life and let the pain and the sorrow be washed away.
eyes of his mercy raised he pulls out and we sing come Lord Jesus come come Lord Jesus Father, bless us as we leave the house today, as we celebrate Father's Day with family and with friends. And may it be a joyful time together, but Father, may we always be mindful that your return is at hand. May we be ready in heart, mind, and in spirit to go when we hear the angels shout from heaven. Bless us throughout the day, that we might be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I ask, and all of God's people said, Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.